And we're down to Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 16. You shall not have in your bag different weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house different measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight and a perfect and just measure that your days may be lengthened in the land which Yahweh your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to Yahweh your God. Uh, so far, uh, the reading of God's word. Now, children, uh, one thing that they would do, uh, they would have to do when you were making exchange, uh, whether you were exchanging objects or what, uh, one object for another object, or whether you were exchanging an object for money, uh, which back then money was also an object. Uh, it would, could literally be weighed. Um, uh, but that didn't keep man from cheating. Man is a lot better and more technical, technologically advanced now in his cheating and in his stealing. Uh, but the cheating and stealing itself uh, came in with original sin uh, when we sinned in Adam and fell in Adam. Uh, and so if you were going to make a, a, an exchange, uh, you would, um, uh, the one who's cheating or stealing uh, would want to be the one who controls the weights and the measures. And uh, so, if he's weighing out what you're giving to him, uh, he would use the, uh, the, you would use the light weights for what you are giving to him so that you don't have to give him very much. You put the light weights on the one side of the balance and you put uh, what you're going to give him on the other side of the balance and you weigh it out and you say, oh, it's so much. And then when you're weighing out what he's going to give to you, you switch the weights, it says the same thing on it, but now you're using the heavy one that says uh, that weight on it. Uh, and you put the heavy weight on the side of the balance, and uh, then you start weighing out how much of what he's giving you, and oh, you get a little bit more, because you use the heavy weight. And it was a way of stealing. Now God uh, made us in his image, and as uh, we're almost to, not too far away now from the Eighth Commandment in your shorter catechism studies, those of you uh, who are doing that. One of the things that uh, the Eighth Commandment uh, reinforces to us is that God is the one who gives us the ability to make wealth, and God is the one who gives us the right ways to obtain things. And as we've been seeing, the right ways to obtain things include productivity, and they include kindness of others who are glorifying God, who is both productive and kind. God is the one who has made all things. He even has given his creatures, uh, those who are unthinking, uh, the ability to obtain and gather and season. Uh, and uh, man is so sinful that he's worse than ants when it comes to his productivity. Yes, Dave.
Yes, we're, um, uh, I mean, if you're going to do current events, uh, 31 trillion isn't enough. And we're going to have a debate about how much more imaginary uh, money to, uh, by which to steal from uh, not just everyone now, but especially uh, the elderly uh, whose productivity and earning has been done with the lightweights. Um, uh, we're going to use lightweights uh, to assign value to that. Uh, and heavyweights uh, to assign value to what they have to purchase with it now. Um, Phil? I would say at least with the uh, more or less embodied drilling, what we were on in Guatemala was probably the Who was a, a key figure in producing the system of buying and selling that we have now? So even the ant, uh, because of man's sinfulness, becomes one to whom the Lord, the Holy Spirit says, look at the ant. God has given for you uh, to be provided for and to obtain uh, by uh, diligence and work the way your God is a working, acting God, and you get to uh, reflect him. But uh, ants are not generous. Uh, uh, God has given to us, uh, out of the knowledge of him and fellowship with him, to have the character of God produce, uh, produced, reflected, uh, the reflection of the character of God produced in us uh, and displayed in us, uh, not only by hard work, but also uh, by giving and receiving, and we've seen uh, all of those opportunities. So where God has uh, given right ways of uh, obtaining wealth and obtaining means, and uh, if you're paying attention in 1 Timothy 5, uh, we're coming into a, a section in which the theology uh, of the display of godliness in his people is behind uh, how you distribute to widows. Um, and the apostle is going to say some things that, uh, when implemented in the church, are received in a, uh, in a culture, in a church culture, that does not understand what is happening in how we use money uh, the apostle is going to say some things that are received as harsh and hard uh, because there is uh, a theological priority and a spiritual priority uh, in how the church is engaging with the Lord uh, and how they help, uh, how the deacons uh, and the elders uh, help uh, individuals and households and congregations uh, uh, interact 
with the Lord. Uh, so uh, the use of these heavy or light measures or these uh, large uh, or heavy or light weights and large or small measures uh, is a way of trying to obtain uh, in a different manner than God has given us, which obscures, uh, it hides the, uh, the display of uh, God's greatness and God's goodness in his people, in the people that he created to be in his image and the people whom he has redeemed to be renewed in his image according to Christ. Uh, so uh, that's why stealing uh, is, uh, is such an awful, such uh, a wicked thing. Now look at uh, verses 15 and 16 and, and see if you can recognize, uh, if you're especially attending your catechism class and paying attention, uh, all the way back to the fifth commandment. I know it's it's hard when your life has been so so short uh, to remember back uh, five or six weeks because that's such a large percentage of your life. Um, uh, I remember when the uh, uh, when the days were long um, uh, in my life too. Uh, but see if you can remember back to the fifth commandment. Uh, and the teaching that we had at the catechism class, and try to make use of that in verse 15. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which Yahweh your God has given you. Now who remembers what else God said uh, would give you long days in the land which Yahweh your God has given you? Who from the catechism class? What were we to do? What are we to do that our days may be longed in the land that Yahweh our God is giving us? Well, Enoch does attend catechism class. Go ahead, Enoch, tell us. Honor your father and your mother. And you remember how we talked about how that, uh, that cuts two ways. One, God has ordinarily made it. Uh, has created in his or made it so forgive me god has made it in his ordinary providence that when those authority structures that he has established are not just uh followed uh but followed with a respect for the one who is either above you or a respect for the one who is beneath you uh, as far as authority goes He's placed under you, and you understand uh, that he has put you in your position for their good, uh, and uh, or uh, has made equal to you, and we prefer others to ourselves, even among equals in the way of Christ, Philippians 2, uh, and so forth, and even what we have in this morning's reading in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, um, the order in the house being something that is blessed to the congregation when we take his instruction to reflect the, the, the following of the fifth commandment in our households and then we follow it in the congregation uh, in the way we interact with one another. Um, and if you did your hope well at home on Thursday, you've uh, just been instructed in that. So God in his ordinary providence has made the fifth commandment work out that way. 
but all of his providence is extraordinary in the sense that uh, we know that it pleases the Lord. Uh, and, so, um, uh, and so we talked about that, especially when the apostle was making application of the fifth commandment um, uh, in Ephesians 6 uh, and obeying uh, our parents in the Lord uh, and how uh, it's not just that God is some, um, uh, uh, some great programmer who has programmed the, the way that the world works so that th this ordinar ordinarily honoring your father and mother works out well for a home, works out well for a congregation, works out well uh, for, a, uh, for a society. Uh, but it's also that God loves it. Uh, and our hope at all times is entirely dependent upon God. Uh, and so why would we offend him on whom we must depend? And all the goodness that we have has come from God. So why would we re ill repay the God who has done us so much good by doing what displeases him instead of what pleases him? Right? So there's both of those things with the fifth commandment. And now, when he's talking about equal weights and measures, God says there's both of those things with the eighth commandment. That your days may be lengthened in the land which Yahweh your God has given you. And in a society uh, where the people uh, harm one another uh, with respect to finan uh, financially, uh, and in wealth and work, uh, it is uh, self-destructive to the society. Uh, we've we've had that in our home, haven't we? Um, where uh, you know, the 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 people in the home, uh, if the if there's a day in which our our fleshliness is being more expressed than usual, and we're not working together, and each one trying to be productive, but uh, but each one trying to get more out of the other one's productivity uh, and not dealing with their own chores and their own labors uh, uh, with, the, with the same measure with which they deal with one another, uh, that kind uh, of tension and competition uh, breaks down the overall functioning of the home. Uh, and children, when... when uh, when you're doing your chores that way, you run out of time in the day, don't you? And those pleasant things that you could have done as a family uh, when the work was done uh, don't get to be done. You might even go to bed with work undone and get up with more to do tomorrow. Uh, the church suffers when the when the even in the uh, the charity with one another and the productivity. Uh, whether you're talking about spiritually or materially, uh, when rather than each one uh, seeking to be as productive as possible so that they are able to give and make up for whatever lacks uh, in the other, uh, when there is uh, competition and tension. Uh, and then in the distribution to the widows, when this happened, uh, the sense in Act 6 is that the conversion of new believers had been slowing down and there was a problem and the apostles felt this strong need to give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, but they couldn't 
because they were dealing with complaints from, uh, from the families uh, and the relatives of the Hellenistic widows, that their widows were being uh, neglected in the daily distribution. And what did God do? He, he gave the institution of the diaconate to oversee that. Uh, and then there was that wonderful fruit at the end of it that many were converted even or especially among the priests uh, as a fruit of uh, the, the church's human resources not being, um, uh, not being, not having to be spent on the, the proper management of the distribution of the material resources. Um, so you have uh, both the, the better functioning just in God's ordinary providence, but you also have God who is pleased to save through particular means. Uh, and when we are looking to him to do that, uh, we should not expect from him blessing uh, as, we, uh, as we disobey him to his face and do that which he detests. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination uh, to Yahweh your God. God abominates the manipulation uh, of monetary exchange. Well, that was really the conclusion uh, of, uh, of the care for the poor section. Uh, so we're going to kind of switch gears uh, now and look at um, the slavery laws, starting with ones that we uh, have already looked at uh, in Exodus 21 uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the afternoon lessons uh, on the Lord's days. Exodus 21. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters. Uh, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since she has dealt deceitfully with her. And if, she has, if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free uh, without paying money. Now, we probably don't have, we certainly don't have time um, to work through all of this now. Uh, but we see how uh, even in what happens when someone runs out of resources to the point 
that the only thing that they have left is themselves uh, and their labor. Uh, whether it's uh, a laborer in the society as a man or the laborer of a wife and a mother uh, for, uh, for the daughter in verses 7 through 11. Um, uh, this, is, uh, 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 this is a situation in which she is being betrothed, uh, whether uh, to the one who is uh, paying the money uh, in verse 8 or to his son uh, in verse 9, uh, and we'll probably be getting to that next Lord's Day, uh, Lord willing. Uh, but uh, especially in the case uh, of a man who the only thing he has left is his labor. He's not even able to make up uh, by borrowing, like we heard with uh, with uh, the the guy who uh, he's got his at least he's got his cloak and he can give that as security and uh, and work off uh, work off his debt. This guy uh, is now a servant in the household, uh, and the good news is uh, that he is provided for by his master. Uh, a servant uh, is, for an, an upright man, uh, a great and significant responsibility. Uh, in fact, in the complexities, even in, uh, in the chattel slavery that was uh, in America, there were a number uh, of upright men who came into slaves, inherited slaves, received slaves that were connected to property, uh, and uh, would sometimes uh, find themselves unable to take care of them the way their previous masters had and would go uh, into debt uh, for themselves, uh, taking care properly uh, of those who have been entrusted to their care. Things are a lot more complex uh, often uh, historically. This is not uh, the, the, sort of, the sort of slavery... Uh, and much, you know, there are many uh, times and places uh, in, uh, in uh, history uh, in which it wasn't the sort of slavery uh, that was based upon man stealing uh, and with men as having purely monetary value and being uh, exchanged merely as property. But the Hebrew slavery was even better uh, than... Uh, any of the other slavery. Uh, now it was set over against uh, a slavery that was much more like that in which uh, you know, different African tribes, which had always been warring and you know, killing and eating each other, um, which is pretty much uh, where all human society that is untouched by the gospel tends to go. Uh, don't let anybody tell you that uh, that America is just um, you know, uh, Westernism run, uh, run amok uh, and, um, uh, and that uh, everything that happens in America is just uh, purely Western and we should respect other cultures. Uh, no, you know, Westernism run amok uh, can be seen in Scotland when they're you know running around painting their faces blue before the gospel gets there. And what are they doing? They're killing each other and eating each other. Uh, no, uh, much of what we have in our society uh, is good because it came not from what from the West. It came from the Lord. It came from the cross. It came 
from the scriptures, uh, and it transformed uh, uh, places like Scotland into something that they were not before. Uh, uh, and those things must be differentiated. Well, the Hebrews were supposed to be transformed. And so their slavery was supposed to be very different than the slavery uh, of the Egyptians. The Hebrews had been free people. Uh, and uh, the Egyptian slave trade, which was in full swing, that is in part how the Israelites got there, isn't it? Midianites knew that uh, that you could uh, buy a slave chief in Canaan and you know, turn him over real quick for uh, for a profit in Egypt. Uh, the uh, the Egyptians were glad to spend money on, on slaves because, uh, frankly, it was uh, uh, cheaper to buy a new one than to maintain your old one uh, at that time. Uh, so they would have field slaves whose lifespans were. Uh, were measured in weeks or maybe a couple of months uh, if uh, if you lasted a long time to the point that Joseph's brothers thought they were killing him, didn't they? Uh, when they sold him to the Midianites. Said, let's not get his blood on our hands. We can make a buck uh, and let somebody else do the dirt, dirt, dirty work or make some uh, some shekels, I guess, shekelim. Um, uh, so that was the sort of slavery uh, that was in Egypt uh, for other nations. And then there was the sort of slavery that was in Egypt for their own people. Okay, so you had both kinds of slavery in Egypt, uh, but the kind of slavery that they had for their own people that came out of, uh, in God's wonderful providence, the administration of the, the uh, what do you call the stuff that's in the storehouses? What remained, uh, for lack of the minister's vocabulary, uh, what remained from the years of plenty during the years of famine, uh, and they sold themselves into slavery to Pharaoh, uh, and they had to pay that 20% um, uh, for, uh, for, the rest of, uh, for the rest of their and their people's lives. You know, remember that on April 18th, or whenever it is, uh, that you are filing your return, uh, that, that that was considered slavery. Uh, before God's eyes, we have not uh, outlawed slavery in America, okay? Um, uh, but they had to, they had to do that uh, forever. Uh, the Hebrews were not to be like that with one another. Uh, a Hebrew servant whom they purchased would serve six years, and in the seventh, he would go out free, paying nothing. Uh, indeed, the uh, part of the idea was that he would be able uh, to accumulate during his time enough uh, to be able to start. Uh, and, uh, and we saw that uh, recently uh, in another text. Now, if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, his wife shall go out with him. But what is this business about his master giving him a wife and him, he would have to leave his wife and his children behind? Does God approve of or encourage the destruction, the separation of families? And obviously the answer is no. But 
the idea that you would provide for your slave not just food and drink and clothing, but a wife whom you could not compel him to marry her. He has to covenant with, uh, covenant with her as, uh, as a free man, knowing uh, that uh, he, you know, his options are to lose her or to continue in this house forever. Uh, that would factor into the, this, the decisions of both the master and the slave. And so on the one hand, uh, if you don't want to lose seven years of your life, it's, it's a pretty big chunk of your life if you have to put off getting married as a single man for seven years. If you don't want to lose seven years of your life, then the first thing you want to do is you want to work hard enough and well enough for your master uh, that he will want to have you as a servant forever and be on the hook for not just taking care of you, but you and your wife, and not just you and your wife, but you and your wife and your children. Uh, so in the first place, you would have to be, you would want to be the kind of servant that a master wants to keep forever. And then if you're a master who has that kind of servant, you want to look for him for the kind of wife that he wants to keep forever. You're not just going to take um, uh, uh, any uh, any old a woman to propose to him because he's not going to accept a wife that he doesn't want to keep forever. And so the master is actually now involved uh, in finding for his servant, like you would find for your son, a wife that is actually going to do him good. Uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the fruit that is aimed at uh, is that the servant who has thus loved learns to love his master and the master who has thus learned to love his servant, uh, has saved him those seven years, has enabled him to get married at a younger age, uh, and now you have this extended household uh, in which, for all practical purposes, the servant has been adopted uh, and continues as part of the household forever uh, with a master that he loves as a father, a master who loves him as a son, a wife whom he loves enough to stay in the position of a servant and knew that that would be the fate of the rest of his years on this earth when he took her as a wife. All he has to do uh, for, for this not to happen is to say, you know what, thank you for, uh, for proposing that marriage, Master, uh, but uh, I am really looking forward to my freedom and I don't mind the three years left that we have uh, on our contract and I'll get myself a wife when we're done so that I can uh, have her with me forever. Uh, so don't just read it and not think about all of the details that are involved. Uh, these are actual people making actual decisions before the God who gave these instructions uh, and his desire to give his people um, a way of dealing with lack of resources that will strengthen families, strengthen extended families, and, uh, and uh, provoke or encourage bonds of love between masters and servants uh, is far superior to anything that we have uh, for how to deal uh, with 
financial loss and, and, uh, and want uh, in our society? Uh, Dave. Jacob, uh, Jacob was not a slave. He was a hired man. In the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. well, you, oh, you mean like to con convert them to Yahweh worship? Yes. Well, they were certainly, they were, they were to observe multiple different things. First of all, it was better to be a foreign slave in, in Israel than it was to be a foreign slave somewhere else. Because God regulated their, their treatment uh, of the slaves. And that was part of the righteous law that they were to observe. Um, even in how they were treated. Uh, but secondly, uh, they, were, uh, they were also, uh, they would also be very aware that it was better to be a Hebrew slave in Israel or an Israelite slave in Israel than a foreign slave of Israel. Uh, even in the case of uh, the, uh, the section that we're in in, Ex uh, in Exodus 21, or that we began, and we'll have to finish next week, we're already way over time, um, this is particularly for Israelite slaves. The foreign, uh, the the um, establishing of this kind of uh, conversion from slavery to extended family uh, is something that uh, verse two uh, identifies particularly for a Hebrew servant. Uh, and one of the things that God had given Israel in Exodus twelve, when the mixed multitude was coming out, uh, was that a foreigner who wanted to observe the Passover uh, had to convert to, uh, to be brought into uh, and become a part of one of the tribes of Israel. Uh, so you actually uh, don't have a purely ethnic people uh, as Israel uh, at any time in the Old Testament. Before they're constituted a nation and a church at Sinai, uh, you already have a mixed multitude uh, who are able to, uh, to be brought into or join the people. It was a covenanted people uh, for its entire history, not an ethnic, uh, not a purely ethnic uh, people, which is one of the things that you know, totally blows up the dispensationalist idea uh, or understanding of Romans 9 through 11 when we get there uh, in, the midweek, uh, in the midweek sermons. Uh, so yes, the display of what God is like generally in that he's kind to all, that would be done with uh, a foreign, that would be displayed to a foreign slave, but also the display of God's specific covenantal mercy to his people whom he's separated from the nations and the opportunity to join that people uh, by covenanting to have Yahweh as your God, that would also be displayed to them uh, and an opportunity for them. Um, so, uh, there's there's a lot involved uh, in 
how God uses the right use of material things and addressing lack of material things uh, among his people. Uh, this also, um, you know, we, we're, oh, I want to keep going. We're in a church age where when you hear the word mercy ministry, they almost always mean um, corporate congregational resources uh, being distributed or displayed in the community um, in some way. That is not anywhere uh, in the New Testament. Uh, the church, uh, to, to borrow uh, a, a phrase from American Express, I believe it is, the church is supposed to be dis displaying and demonstrating that membership has its privileges. Congregational corporate mercy ministry has a covenantal aspect that is only for the church. External mercy ministry is done by believers as neighbors, and their neighbors know that those believers are like that because their God is like that. But they also are to see that believers show a greater mercy and commitment to uh, and care for one another, uh, not just as individuals, yes, as individuals, but also corporately in a way that is not available to unbelievers because there are things that are in God and in Christ that are not available to unbelievers. Uh, and that, that covenantal distinction that we're already seeing in the Old Testament uh, use uh, of funds um, uh, and care for one another uh, in material things, that continues in the New Testament. But a church that is obsessed with advertising itself in ways that the unbeliever will like, so that if they like us enough, they might spend some time with us and we can manipulate them to say some words about our God so we can tell them that they're saved. That's the way the church is functioning right now. It does not trust in God to save. It does not recognize that membership has its privileges. And instead of proclaiming the Christ who does this to us, we're trying to sell Christ based on what we do to them. Uh, and we need, you know, this is one of the reasons why we are building theologically uh, the the, the origins of all of this that the deacons are supposed to be overseeing and helping, not just the congregation corporately, but e even each of us in managing our own money and being good neighbors with our own money uh, and having the deacons to lead us in that. That's why we're spending so much time building the theology of that. Um, well, we're already 10 minutes over. I intend, uh, if the Lord spares me and it pleases him in his providence, to pastor this congregation until at least 2057. Uh, that sounds like science fiction, but it's just 40 years, and the Lord helping me to retain my, you know, regain my health and make me useful into my days. Uh, and that means that we hope that some of you children, that uh, we will get to baptize uh, maybe some of your grandchildren uh, together. What we are hoping to do is to see God reproduce in our life, in our time, in our place, his church the way it's supposed to function in the Bible. 
because the Jesus who died for us is a Jesus who's given us those instructions. Uh, and so I know it feels like we need deacons yesterday. Nobody feels like he needs deacons yesterday more than I do. I promise you. But if we're going to build a foundation of what God is doing in his world through the diaconate and what he wants to do through each of our lives and each of our households under the leadership of the diaconate, uh, we need to do it uh, in the context of the whole of who God is, how God saves, and how the diaconate and our ministry and material things fits, uh, fits into all of that. All right, so let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your great mercy to us, that you have not only determined to have us uh, adopted as your children, brought into your household, uh, married to your son corporately as his bride, um, and perfectly holy and perfectly happy forever, but that you have given us in this world, in this time, in the few days that you have taught us to number, um, the opportunity to display what you are like, to display even the difference that your redemption makes, the difference that being uh, set apart to you from the world makes. Oh Lord, bless to us the study of your word and grant that your spirit would use it to produce in us the character of your son uh, so that not too many days from now, as far as the history of this world is concerned, there would be the light of Christ shining brightly uh, and the salt of Christ seasoning and preserving uh, excellently. Uh, Middle Tennessee uh, and Middle Northern Alabama uh, coming out of the fruit of the generations of this congregation of your people. Grant it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.